hello there. You're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We will also be talking about the second installment of the Before Trilogy, Before Sunset. Alright, we finally got some good news to talk about. Hayao Miyazaki's final film, The Boy and the Heron, has gotten a trailer and a release date of December 8th. Have you seen the trailer, Ryan? I have not. I When I saw that trailer dropped, I went to it, went right to the end to find the release date. That was all Genius. I did. Perfect. I also did not want to watch the trailer, so I haven't seen it either. I've seen a couple of pictures because I was scrolling through Instagram and they happened to pop up. But other than that, I know nothing about the movie. And yeah, I've I seen want some, to keep it that way. seen some images as well, which is inevitable. Like any on my like news page because it's obviously gonna be curated for me so it's gonna have a lot of movie stuff i've seen a bunch of those images just from news articles talking about it so i'm like dang couldn't go in entirely blind but yeah yeah i still don't really know much other than you know there's a boy there's a heron and i'm sure they get it to some hijinks so <laughs> that's that, should no. be the, that should be the synopsis on like imdb <laughs> there's a boy there's a heron and uh, there's some hijinks Mm-hmm. There you go. And in other news, Godzilla Fever is all the rage right now. We have two projects coming out this year, and they're not even affiliated with the Godzilla Kong movie supposed to be coming out next year. We have Monarch Legacy of Monsters, a streaming series hitting Apple TV Plus November 17th. Did you see the trailer for that? Nope. The mo well, it's got John Goodman in it. It's got okay. Kurt Russell. And okay. the VFX are insane. It looks like a straight up big blockbuster movie. Really? Yes. So I don't know how much money they spent on this thing, but it's insane. Like it, the visuals look as good as those Godzilla movies. And it's now in the I same universe. It is the same universe uh, as, you know, the recent Godzilla King of Monsters, Godzilla versus Kong thing. So that is crazy uh and then we also have a new movie coming from the uh toho coming from japan godzilla minus one and it will be getting a release in the united states december 1st it'll be in imax as well i think i saw that really so yeah why why minus one no clue okay absolutely no clue but it did look pretty cool i saw the trailer for that so if you're a Godzilla fan, you got a lot to look forward to. I got to talk to Fernando about that. He's a big Godzilla fan. Really? Oh, yeah. Loves him. Loves all the original movies. You got to let Ezra know as well about all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I think Fernando still has my Criterion login. And so everyone's told I'll go on Criterion. And they have all the Godzilla movies on there. And one will have just been watched. And I'm like, it wasn't me. I know that. That's crazy. I need to get your Criterion login. You do? I don't know why you haven't asked. Stuff. I know. Um my the netflix thing have we talked about that yet i no. finally got kicked off of the netflix finally <laughs> so we're gonna need to <laughs> discuss that and how i can get around that because that was that was tragic i had yeah. gone on like the night before it happened too i went on and i was just watching something uh and then the next day i went on because i wanted to check out did we not know this the one piece thing i was like oh maybe i'll watch that live action thing just to did my toe in the water oh we might have talked about but then i got booted off of it so i wasn't able to see it so i'm like well i guess that'll never happen 
Yeah, man. The only reason I can use it right now is because I'm staying with my dad and I'm on his Wi-Fi network. The second I leave, I'm going to get booted. I know it. Exactly. That's why I was like, dang, it sucks because he won't get booted off because now you're, yeah, you're at the house where the, like, login is. When I do leave, I might just buy my own Netflix separate from him. And then I could just give you that login. We could do like the separate home thing that they have. I was looking at, I think there is a way to get around it. I was looking at um, certain stuff. So we'll talk about that later on and see. But for now, for now, I'll give you my, I'll give you my criterion as a uh, a return of favor for you giving me HBO Max. Yeah, that'll, that'll be fair trade. And then hopefully I can hop back on that Netflix at some point. Yeah. But yeah, let's talk about the box office breakdown for September 1st to the 3rd. Equalizer 3 with 34 million so that is like right around where all the other equalizers that blows my mind being. that's amazing that's crazy denzel's such a star he is what a that's god crazy. best actor of our well i guess not our generation but of the last generation mm-hmm. denzel's so great but like on its heels don't forget number two barbie with 10 million not quite still there but uh yeah yeah still dominating things but it looks like for it's a movie that's been out for so long I mean, yeah. that's pretty great. The huge success, no doubt about that. Um, Still double digits. Blue Beetle with third place, 7.1 million. Gran Turismo with 6.6 million. Oppenheimer, 5.7 million. So growing distance between the uh, Barpenheimer duo. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, 4.6 million. Bottoms, 3.4 million. Meg 2, The Trench, 2.8 million. Strays, 2.5 million. And Talk to Me with 1.8 million. All right. So for the box office predictions for this upcoming weekend, September 8th to the 10th, The Nun 2, horror film, horror franchise, hidden the theaters. Obviously, horror has been doing quite well lately. Yeah. What do you think this established franchise is going to get in its opening? I mean, it is September, so it's kind of a dead season for movies. Like... I can't see it making a great amount, but it is a horror movie, and they have been hitting lately, and this is an established franchise that does always hit. Usually, I'm going to go 25, maybe 20, 25. I was going to go around the same area. I I didn't pull up the uh, numbers for The Nun's original opening weekend, but yeah, I think somewhere around there, because it is established, So, and then the horror fan base is always going to like give out, go out and give something a try, so I feel like over 20 million seems like Mm. it should be able to hit that yeah all right let's get into our main topic i'm so excited we're so so for those of you who are just tuning in now you should look back way earlier in the podcast maybe nine months ago we did our before sunrise episode and then we waited nine months to do before sunset and then nine months from now we'll do before midnight of course this is the before trilogy by richard linklater which were nine years apart themselves Mm -hmm. and uh for a long time, and maybe even still today, our Before Sunrise episodes that, that we did was my favorite episode that we had ever done because we just talked about so many interesting and fascinating things. And so I was really, really excited to talk about this episode. I forgot we were recording this episode until today. And so I had to watch the movie last second, but then I got really excited that we were doing the recording today because I was, I've been looking forward to this for nine months. And then now I have to wait another nine months before seeing Before Midnight and getting to have that discussion. Mm-hmm. So in this nine month gap, Ryan, between when we first recorded and now, have you like seen Before Sunrise again at all? Nope, I make it a mission. Uh, I think we announced it at the Before Sunrise episode at the end of that. That at least for me, I was not going to. 
do a rewatch of Before Sunrise or re-listen to the pod, even though, as you said, like a lot of, you know, good conversation came out of that. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I'm going to treat it as if I were like these characters who had such a huge gap before they were able to reconnect. So I was going to take that same gap before I could dive back mm-hmm. into the world and uh, reintroduce myself to these characters. So nope, did not see Before Sunrise again, only seen it that one time nine months ago. How about you? I Honestly, I, I know you wanted to so, rewatch and revisit yeah. it, but did you end up doing so? So I saw Before Sunrise the first time maybe a year and a half ago, and then I watched it again for the show that we had did. And then I wanted to watch it again before watching Before Sunset so that I could uh, catch up on what the characters were and what they did and sort of what that night was to them so that I could have that sort of impression going into the movie. And of course, I forgot that we were recording this episode. So I never I never ended up rewatching Before Sunrise since that episode. So I guess I'm in the same boat as you in the sense that I'm feeling those feelings of like I can barely remember what that night was other than the impressions of what happened with those characters. I did go back maybe a few months ago and I re-listened to parts of that conversation that you and I had had from that episode. Mm-hmm. And I remember parts of it and I re-remembered parts of it from that conversation. So I'm going to be bringing up some of that from the past of what I can remember as we talk about before sunset and we talk about our previous conversation. Cause I feel like part of what I want to talk about with this episode, not only has to do with um, the movie and how the characters change and how their conversation unfolds in before sunset, but how we have changed over these nine months and how our conversation from that day has evolved to where it is now. That's kind of mm-hmm. what I want to do. That's my goal with this conversation. Yeah. I think it's a good starting point to talk about what we remember from before sunrise. Cause I think it definitely gave that one moment when he was reflecting on it. And then we started seeing those flashbacks. Yeah. That was much more powerful since it had been nine months. And then now I'm like, oh, snap. Now I'm reminiscing on uh, those little images as well. Um, So what are the things that you remember from before sunrise? Like any images, any specific scenes, any lines, anything like that, that stuck out and like resonate with you to now, like where you can recall them? I don't remember a lot of the conversation they have other than like, who they are as characters because most of the conversations in that movie are sort of like get to know you simple conversations that get a little bit deeper as they the night goes on but i remember a lot of like the feelings that i had while i was watching that movie a lot of like idealistic and romantic feelings of being young and that sort of thing of trying to live in that moment of being there in vienna and taking a chance and going on this wild night with this stranger and that sort of thing and i just i don't know it was it was very I remember the first time watching it was very poetic watching it just sort of trying to be there in that moment with them which I think is so precious I mean the movie so much of that movie and even more of Before Sunset is very much in time in real time as the characters are walking around and so you're forced to be in that present moment and you don't know anything else about the characters other than where they are right then and there and like you might learn more as it goes along but you are getting to know them as they get to know each other which is sort of magical that you get to, it's like you're like a, a third party witness to what's happening. So I remember the feeling of watching it. I remember how I felt, how romantic and idealistic I felt watching it. What about you? I definitely think, yeah, what you mentioned there, like the overall sensations of it and the themes of it, certainly that like perfect romantic 
encounter that's bottled up in one night. And then especially like towards that end when they were, they ultimately realize, oh, we do want to continue this somehow. And so they make that little pact um, at that train station. So I remember elements like that pretty vividly. And then there's just certain scenes. Like I remember the bus, although I don't remember exactly what like their conversation was, um, but I remember that being fairly early on where mm-hmm. in the, they're in the record store and then they're listening to that song. Remember that moment. Oh yeah. I remember there's one where they were sitting by the water and it was at dinner. And I think that was maybe a conversation where they decided either that was when they brought up the idea of, Oh, let's just have it one night and like not uh, try and spoil it by trying to pursue it. Cause we know it'll never live up and it will not work out. Isn't that when they're, that when they're walking along the water and the guy like writes a poem for them. Oh, I do remember that just brought that up. That was when they were sitting down, though, at a dinner table, this other moment I was mentioning. Um, So, yeah, there's just those brief moments there. But it's fascinating to have some of those bits of memories. Um, Obviously, for like two real characters, two real people that would be going through that, um, they would have much more vivid memories of everything. And that's Mm -hmm. part of what they bring up here is like their memories of that night different perceptions they had he obviously writes a book about that whole encounter um and then when they're able to converse a little bit about it she's talking about how you know there's certain things that in his perception of her she doesn't necessarily agree with or he thinks she thinks they're a bit romanticized or idealized um which definitely makes sense since the original film did have a lot of those qualities too um so I think that that moment as well of like bringing in the fact that Linklater obviously made that first film because of an encounter that he had in real life, which was like this. And then in the second film, he chose to have one of the characters who, I mean, obviously Jesse would be him in that real life encounter, um, having him reflect on that entire event, make it into a story and then partially that be the way that he wants to reach out to the um, to that love of his life that he never really got to end up with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that is a fascinating choice that he had made just to bring it into like, okay, how would a creative person go about getting this out of their system and trying to reflect on it and the meaning that it had and the impact that it had uh, mm-hmm. on his life, even though it was such a short little moment. I think it was just a really compelling approach. And then it opened up all those uh, conversations about how do you perceive this moment or what did you remember? What stuck out to you? Because it's always a fascinating thing about memory. Like even in our friend group, just remembering events, like just funny things that have happened or mm-hmm. uh, inside jokes. Like everyone has different things that always stick out, which I think is funny. Um, like things that I have no recall of people like you or Carlos will just bring it up. And I'm like, dang, I never would have like kept that in my mind. Um, so that is always an interesting thing when two people, they live through the same exact event and different parts of it can be meaningful for different reasons. So cool. Yeah, I agree. Now, what about our conversation that we had following watching the movie? Since you haven't listened to that recording since we did it, which is odd for you because you usually listen to them afterward for quality control. What do you uh, what do you remember from that conversation? I remember us 
there's a good portion of it that was talking about your writing, although I know that because you, know, you had brought it up recently. That's true. Um, so, yeah, I remember that part pretty vividly about um, like just our goals and then our, I guess, process of writing. Um, and then for you, what was like keeping you from that? And then since then, since that conversation, you've definitely uh, been able to have a lot of success in terms of just writing and keeping yourself honest with it. So number one, proud of you, Dylan, for that. Great job. Love to see it. Thank you. Um, so I remember that conversation. I had also remembered, and this is again, because it got brought up in relation to the like past lives conversation, but that idea of um, particularly in relation to me, although we, I mean, yeah, we had that conversation of like, how do you approach problems? Yeah. Are you someone that is like, oh, I just need to vent or, oh, I need to seek problem solving. And then if you're on the receiving end of that, do you just listen or do you try and solve problems? You and I both are like people that try and uh, do the problem solving. Mm -hmm. um, and Which then that's an also issue. part. Yeah. And that's also partially why I don't like bring up certain issues because I'm of the mindset of like, oh, I know it's just a problem that has some sort of solution. I need to just take that out and then go for it instead of like wasting time even though it's not wasting time like it is good to vent and get things off your chest but i'm like i don't need to bring this up because i don't want to burden someone else with it and then also it's like mm -hmm. i already know what to do really i just need to go ahead and do it um it's not like yeah they're gonna be able to give me the tools yeah to do it necessarily it's just something i have to enact myself so that's why i'm but, hesitant to do those things but the in the case of like in the case of that where you say you know how you want to solve it and you know how you want to approach that problem, if you're just looking to vent and you're not looking for a solution, then that wouldn't even be a concern anyway. You would, you're just trying to tell your problem, even though you know what the solution is. You just want someone to listen to you. Do you think you would benefit more approaching, like talking about more personal things in that way in, in where you approach someone like, let's say me or Lillian or somebody, and you say, hey, I, I have this problem. I know how to fix it, but I just want to talk about it for a little bit. And we just listened. Do you think that would be a benefit to you? Or do you think that's not something you're interested in? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, it's not something I feel compelled to do very often. Yeah. That's just not like my, the way I operate. Um, but some people do, they, they want to be able to get things off their chest and vent. Mm -hmm. And that's also how some people are able to like reflect on it more. I feel like yeah. I'm someone that can, you know, create dialogue trees in my own head about thinking through things. Mm -hmm. um, but for some people, yeah, it's definitely much more beneficial to be able to bring that to other people, get other perspectives, but ultimately it's just that act of like releasing it, getting out of your system um, yeah. as a catharsis. So yeah. How about you? Have you had any change of heart regarding that? Or do you still feel like you're sort of the same way and your same approach and you're comfortable with that? I definitely still don't really bring my problems up around people in the same way you don't. There's definitely stuff in my life that are active problems that I know about and that I have solutions for and that I'm trying to get to it. But I have a hard time talking about it because if I, I feel like if I talk about it, it becomes more real than it is in my head. And that's a very mm -hmm. scary thought to me. And I also, like you said, I don't want to burden people. I don't want to bring people into a world that is already very stressful and very uh, anxiety inducing to me. And so I feel like if I can tackle this on my own or with the people who are working with me on this problem and not anybody outside of that circle, then perhaps I could, uh, in a way, like 
keep you guys from being burdened with those thoughts because I don't want anybody to have to worry about me ever. And I'm sure you relate to that in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard. It can be hard. And maybe I should open up more. Maybe I should just talk about my problems, but it's a scary thing to do. The idea of making that real. And I remember, I remember this part of that conversation from last time. And I remember the part of us talking about writing a lot. Uh, and that's why it was such a, an important conversation for me to have, because I was dealing with a lot of those problems at the time. And some of those things are not problems to me anymore. Like you said, I've been writing a lot more, which has been great. I finished the screenplay I was stuck on for a long time. I wrote half of another screenplay because I was bored and in quarantine. And I've been working on a new book, which feels really good. So I have been this year 10 times more productive than I was the year previous, which has been great. Mm -hmm. And that has to do a lot with me wanting to see a lot of change in my life. And it has to do a lot with since, you know, nine months ago, there has been a lot of change in my life that has either been in my control or out of my control. And uh, I feel like I am in a different space now, which I mean, nine months is not a long period of time. It's not even a year, but I feel like I am in a much different space, not necessarily a different person, but in a different place in my life now than I was then. Do you feel that way? Um, to an extent? Yes. Mm-hmm. If we had recorded this one week ago, I'd be like, yeah, because I, I felt like I was <laughs> on top of my game in terms of just being very productive. I mean, now I'm in the second year of the MFA program. Mm-hmm. So pre-production is in full swing. Yeah. And so that is just all consuming pretty much. So I'm going to get extremely busy, uh, especially over the next few months, but even through until like this upcoming summer, I'm just going to be busy. My whole brain is going to be dedicated to that. Mm-hmm. And it's required me to be like very on top of my stuff, which is different than how it's been before. Cause as you know, I, I'm pretty good about like when I set my mind to something, especially mm-hmm. if it's like, say a writing project or something, I follow through with that. Like I had that one research project. If you remember that, my honors undergraduate. Thing yeah, that I was of doing. course. It was a behemoth. It was huge. Thing. It could be a nonfiction book, honestly. Yeah. Um, and so like the dedication I had to that of just every, every night whenever I got done with stuff I would go back there and then I would spend an hour and a half or two doing research and collecting more information and figuring things out and then I wrote the bulk of it like I was writing in bits and pieces and then the bulk of it got written and finished up once the pandemic happened and we were in lockdown um but like that just complete like dedication to getting things done and accomplishing things Mm -hmm. I felt like was that full swing there and then since then, I don't know what it is. I mean, I've still like I'm doing all my tasks. Um, there's been accomplishments, but I don't feel like I had as consistent of um, a dedication to like getting those things done and like putting mm-hmm. all the focus that was needed to uh, do that stuff. Um, even though, again, like I've written other things since then. This past summer, I wrote a whole another script, uh, first draft of that. So somewhere earlier down the line i'll revisit that and fix it up but in those like pockets of time where i'm like okay i'm gonna sit down i'm gonna dedicate myself to writing this thing and then i can do it like i wrote every day of the month of june and then in july i wrote pretty much every day unless i was on set yeah Um, in which case i was too tired to sure but of course so like that consistency and being able to crank that out it works 
And then it's like, there's that little period of time where I am done with it. I'm exhausted out of my system. It's gone. And then I want to take like a breather or break. And then it's like, right when it gets to the precipice of having to dedicate to a new thing mm-hmm. that I'm like, I don't want to do it. I want to like chill out a little bit more in this state of just not needing to do that. Sure. But then, then I'm just not productive. And then I feel like I'm not satisfied when that happens. Um, and so now I'm now back in that boat of I'm like fully dedicated, but it's a long dedication. This is yeah, like nine months of doing this. And it's different because it's not just me. I can sit down in front of the computer. And I'm honest only to myself, really. But the only one that's relying on me is me. Yeah. And the only person I'm relying on is me. Now I'm bringing in a bunch of collaborators, all these other folks that are going to share in my vision and try and bring it to life. So that part of it is definitely scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also, yeah, it just means like there, there truly is going to have to be pure total dedication to doing this, um, which I can do. Like when I'm in that phase of I am committed, I can do it. Mm-hmm. But there's those little periods of time every now and then where I like try and pull back a little bit um, if I can to salvage, I don't know, just some like respite, some sort of peaceful time um and so last week i was on the game and then this week like this past week again i was doing productive things doing all these meetings right now where i'm recording i'm here because i was just in a meeting yeah um so i'm like doing all that stuff but in those in between times i'm not quite so dedicated at least this past week but i think this upcoming week i will be i'll like be able to recommit as strongly as i want to um, and then I'll be good there. So yeah, in that side of things, I'm, it's going to be different because I think I'm going to have to bring myself up to a whole nother level. Like I think that that research period was like the peak of me having this long term project, mm-hmm. but it was just me. And I was the one that was like, the pace was set by me. Yeah. And there was someone else really like looking over me and being like, Oh, this has to be done. And other collaborators I need to worry about. Now, because it's that same sort of intensity on my end, but then everyone else is involved too, I think I'll have to go to a whole nother level with it. And I'm hoping I can do that. I think I think I will. I think at the yeah. end of this, there will certainly be a film. The mm-hmm. quality of it remains to be seen, but there will be a film. There will be a film. My belt by in a couple of years. Um, so, yeah. yeah. How about you? What are the like changes that you feel like you've had? Um, Obviously, I've had like changes in my personal life that you know about that have uh, changed me as a person, seen change. I've seen the world. Uh, I've been so focused on trying to just work at my job right now and put in the hours so that I can make money because I need money to take care of some of the problems in my life. And I've been so focused on writing a lot because I want to feel fulfilled because my job is not fulfilling in any way. It's an, it's an hourly job. I go in, I clock in, I make money, I clock out. So mm-hmm. I've been so focused on trying to write to feel fulfilled that I've only pretty much been working and writing for the last maybe five or six months now since I've had that personal change, you know. That's all I've mm-hmm. been working on, which uh, has made me feel lonely at times. I feel very isolated sometimes, you know, being at home alone, just trying to write. But at the same time, that has been helpful in terms of 
not distracting me. Like I, I've been the most productive because I am alone and I am laser, like you said, just laser focused on getting it done. And I want to be more laser focused on getting it done. I'm working on a book right now. And I'm hoping I can get it finished by the end of either next month or November. I want to get it done soon. Like I want to finish it and be done with it because it is, it is a lot for me to write it, but I want it to be finished, even though I've had, I've had reservations about writing it and I've decided that I just need to write it, mm. which is taking a lot out of me, but I need to do it and it feels good to write it. Gotcha. We'll talk off air about whatever this uh, new project is because I'm interested. Yeah. Um, especially in, the, I always, which did we talk about this? I, I feel like I saw we have a conversation. I don't think it was on a podcast, but mm-hmm. the different mediums that we choose to do for certain stories. Mm-hmm. Like I know for me as well, like I don't think of myself as being confined to just screenwriting. Sure. Like I want to write books, television series, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm fascinated by your choice of medium there to make it a book. Yeah. But in terms of, yeah, the changes we've had in nine months, not nearly as significant as they'd be if nine years, which that is scary. Yeah. Maybe over 30 when oh we are nine years now. That's insane. We should do though, whenever the podcast ends up, uh, you know, going away, mm-hmm. we should still just have like a special episode where we come back nine years from when our first episode was, and then just rewatch the trilogy in nine month blocks, just to see how they change, like in our relationship to them change as we are now. <laughs> you want to do each time you want to do uh, a year and a half project in our 30s where we rewatch this movie and re-record yeah. it and post the recordings oh my gosh yes. i don't know yeah. where i'm gonna be at 32 but we'll see that's the great thing about it and then we can do it again yeah. at 41 <laughs> yeah good god it, it never happens you know we just end up in paris at a bookstore and then we were like oh let's do that recording i would love that i would love to go to paris with you ryan it'd be great yeah. That's one of the things I like about these movies too is the locations that they have chosen are just gorgeous. Just gorgeous to look at. Yeah. You're very romantic, city. yeah. Very great. Um, but yeah, so they Jesse and Celine. By the way, it's crazy. They honestly should have just gone with uh just the names of the actors. How uh, some projects will do that. You think? For this one, honestly, yeah. Like whenever I see them, I just I don't think Jesse and Celine, I just think Ethan and Julie. Um but yeah, so they end up in Paris at the same place, the same bookstore, since he's going on tour. Um, and then they're able to catch up of nine years, just figuring out what have they been doing, um, what changes have gone on mm-hmm. in their life. So were there any conversations that they had that resonated with you particularly, the- even though they're obviously like 32, right? And we are yeah uh, nine years younger than that. But the... um the place that they're at in their lives, the conversations they were having at this point, the reflections they were having, did any resonate with you? There was, um, in the beginning, I really like when Ethan Hawke is talking to the reporters and he talks about, they, they ask him, you know, like, obviously, you know, you had this date with this girl. Is this what this book's about? You know, things like that. And I like what he says, like, uh, we are, he, he quotes some author that I don't know. And he's like, we are the moments in our lives and the places we've been and the people we've met and everything we write about is like an embodiment of those things. I really, really like that. I think I really resonate with my best writing is done when I am writing about myself because it's what I know best. 
I think mm-hmm. I have in the past tried to write stories that I think are just fun, that have nothing to do with me, that have nothing to do with any problems I have. And they aren't always the best writings that I've done. They're actually quite terrible. And and when I write okay. something that I'm when I write something that I'm proud of, it's usually something very uh personal and something very important to me that I had to write about. And I think uh, I think Tarantino said the the best screenplay is the one you're embarrassed to share, which I think I said in the episode we did nine months ago, if I remember correctly. I might have quoted that as well then too, because we talked about writing personally. I think him saying that, or Ethan Hawke saying that in the movie about how everything that you are gets embedded into a story that's good, whether you like it or not, is very important to me. And I feel like writing more and more personally about myself has been very important to me. Yeah, I think 100% that relates with yeah people like us writers who, yeah, like even if you don't intend it to, mm-hmm. like even with those projects you said, like, oh, they have nothing to do with me. I mean, they did. They speak to your interests, the things that you find fun or fascinating. I suppose, but they were they were so, dog shit. Like, they were just so bad because there was nothing about my personality in them. It was just my interests, which can work sometimes, but not always. Yeah, maybe. I just think, I mean, you're also far earlier in your like writing career at that correct point. i'm talking about things that i wrote when i was like 15 so like no yeah, nothing you write so, when you're 15 is gonna be good yeah so, so that's you're right quite you're right. a different thing i think ultimately though yeah like regardless of whether it's something that does have like an explicit autobiographical element to it which you know the book that jesse writes and then the film before sunrise clearly that was like taken from an event in real life yeah but even if that's not the case like uh going back to what happened with uh it's funny that we did like when harry met sally before this like a different Mm rom-com um but things like that like they took little moments from their real lives or the real conversations about like oh the fake orgasm and they put that into the film um but things like that even if they aren't pulled directly from your own life Mm -hmm. Still, do speak to your experiences, your observations, the way that you perceive things, or the things that you believe about the world. Um, so, yeah, things like Indiana Jones too, like Spielberg and Lucas, them growing up watching those serials. Yeah, like oh, let's make a like our own B movie version of this, and then it also has like Bond elements, things like that. Mm-hmm. Like even though that, and obviously, yeah, it does incorporate some elements of the real life, right? Like Spielberg's father issues, things like that that we get in Last Crusade. Um, but it still does have all the hallmarks of like things that they're interested in and that they find fascinating. Mm-hmm. And that can be um, like as powerful and as re- representative of who you are and can be considered, I think, personal as much as the things that like maybe were directly from your life or direct struggles you had or fears you had. But I agree that, yeah, on some level, to some extent, you probably are wrestling with something in your scripts mm-hmm. that resonate with you so strongly because they it, it's a struggle you have in real life or that you've dealt with before or still yeah. dealing with um so yeah like in my own like feature film script like there's elements of that but then it's also funny too because like there are elements that are not like they're pure invention yeah sure uh, there's also characters too like every character has bits and pieces of you because i mean to a certain level like you can understand other people but you filter everything through you so it's fascinating when um like i'm writing i wonder too i'm like this character has certain traits 
that are like mine and then I try and look at okay what's the opposite of that or what's something that contrasts with that um, that I can give to these mm -hmm. other characters so that there is not like intentionally trying to be like oh I want distance from me but so that there is more variety so it's not just like a bunch mm -hmm. of little versions of me in these characters I want them to be fully fleshed out and be their own um, person and be three-dimensional and so I think that does require trying to find ways that you would not do this you do not believe this um and incorporating that into the characters but yeah i think overall i think yeah that idea of what is the whole scorsese quote that bong joon ho did as well of the i have no idea or powerful or something like that you forgot it you love it i forgot it i forgot it the only bong joon ho yeah. quote i can remember is if you get over the one inch barrier of subtitles you'll see some uh, more movies which has nothing to do with what you're talking about <laughs> But yeah, it's that whole idea. I think it definitely resonates. Um, so yeah, in terms of other things that resonated, anything else stick out to you? Um, I, I had a feeling while I was watching the movie where I was thinking about like the quality of conversation that they have in this movie and the last movie and the quality mm -hmm. of conversations I usually have in my everyday life. And I don't think I've had as many like strong, interesting, thought provoking conversations as I would like to have had. I can name like a few instances, instances in my life where I've sat down one on one with a person and I've had a conversation with them that I would look back on and think about afterward about how interesting it was. And it's not necessarily a deep conversation or an insightful one, but it's one that I remember. And there's not that many like I'd like there to be. One of them is, of course, our before sunset conversation. One of them is our past lives conversation on the show. But most of the time, we're just talking about, you know, what we think about movies, which is fine. Of course, this is what this podcast is. But they're not exactly things that, like, resonate in my memory as something to be worthy of being remembered as, like, a quality conversation of something that, like, changed the way I think or made me think about something differently. And I would like to have more of those conversations. And if I'm not having them, I should probably be seeking them is something that I thought Like maybe I should be trying to have these conversations with people. Maybe I should be asking questions and trying to engage with people in a different way to have these conversations. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. Like these. Do you ever, do you ever wish that you had those conversations more? Yeah. Yeah. I love doing that. I mean, I also... <laughs> Like, yeah, then when they had that whole conversation about like her environmental, uh, environmental activism stuff, mm -hmm. and she was talking about like, she was like, oh yeah, the world is getting worse and it's all crap. And then he was like, well, there's some good things about it. Um, that little portion of it, of like outlook on the world um, and then getting into more political things. I mean, obviously those conversations can get hairy, but those are the ones that I love because they do sort of get to the heart of like, what do you believe about the world? And um, I think like that's a conversation that always leads to a deeper understanding with a person and talking about um, spiritual things as well. Do they believe in afterlife? Do they believe in God? What do they think about like the universe, creation of that? Um, conversations like that, I think definitely always are more interesting to me than uh, the usual things of just filling someone in on the day and like the gossip from the latest day of work um yeah which i still love i mean <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong i mean 
Who doesn't yeah. love the gossip from the latest day of work? It's the best. But I do that wish is. I do wish more conversations were to be had of like how I feel about things and how the other person feels about things and getting to know each other better. And I think the reason yeah. I feel this way is not only that I'm interested in the conversations that I'm having, but I found that we talked about this earlier. I I feel lonely a lot of the times, and I felt that way my whole life for sure. Just felt lonely in a in a way that I couldn't understand. And I think one of the things that I realized watching the movie was. Uh, when I was dating my ex, I didn't feel lonely when I was around her and I wasn't sure why. And I think the reason is because she knew me so well and I was so honest and open with her that I felt comfortable wearing her. I didn't feel like I was wearing a mask. I didn't feel like I was pretending to be something I wasn't. I could just be myself around her and that felt very comforting and I didn't feel alone anymore. And so one of the things that I, I know I've tried to work on in the past and what I'd like to work on more is trying to be more of myself around everybody. Cause if I, if I can be myself and I can be open and I can be honest, I won't feel as lonely as I usually do, which I think would be nice to feel. Interesting. Yeah. I feel, I don't know. I've always been someone that's very comfortable with myself and mm -hmm. just like being alone. In fact, oftentimes, like, that's preferable mm -hmm. um, to me to just, like, be able to have a chill, relaxing time where I'm just, mm -hmm. it's just me. And I noticed that going into college for the first time, because, um, like, our high school friend group, yeah. we're in school all day. And then, especially that, like, senior year, every day afterwards, it felt like we would just go and yeah. hang out. We hang out all the time. So it was just, like, a constant stream of that. And then in college, as we fracture a bit more, our schedules are all no longer aligned. Mm -hmm. um, I found that I was, yeah, having to do things a lot more of myself, um, by myself, and I was comfortable with it. Like it mm -hmm. was enjoyable just to be by me, by my own company. Yeah. Um, and I never felt like that sense of loneliness. There's definitely times, and it comes in waves. I think we mentioned this maybe on that other thing, or maybe just in a normal conversation. Um, but like it comes in waves where I'll be like, dang, I do want to have like a significant other and someone to share things with. Yeah. Um, and then usually I get very busy and then I have to like put that aside. That's another issue of like when I'm busy, I want to like focus so much time on that. It's so hard to um, balance. And time. I also want to be able to, yeah, carve out time for myself. And that's the thing about like having a relationship of always being like needing to factor in a whole other person and their whole other life yeah into it's yours really and hard like building it around that that's always been the thing that's like intimidating with it mm -hmm. um because i feel like i am someone that can like be alone for long periods of time and want to do my own things and as you know of like the communication thing mm -hmm. like i just and i've realized that now of like my life is slowly becoming a constant stream of meetings and so i'm constantly like <laughs> coordinating that with other people and having to show them and set that up. Yeah. And I just hate being a slave to my phone and to it having sucks, notifications. It? It sucks. I hate it. So that's why like that has been the resistance where like when I'm writing or doing things, like I'll always have my phone off because I think that helps for productivity. -wise. I, I can see. Yeah. That's, that's partially why there's like periods of time where you can't reach me or other people can't reach I mean, me. That makes sense. I should probably do the same thing and I don't. I should get caught there's up also on times. <laughs> uh, there's also times where where i will see like a message 
and then I'll be like, I don't want to deal with this right now. Like I want to preserve whatever I'm doing right now and just like stay in the moment. I've had that more too. Yeah. Thing. But it's also where it, there is just a, a knee jerk sort of resistance to like talking with someone in this moment and pulling myself away mm -hmm. to attend to that, which is definitely different from like, there are other people that are able to just, they're talking with people or doing something and they're able to just like fire off a bunch of texts to a bunch of different people yeah. and like plug themselves into all these different things. I feel like I need to like ease myself into. See, I can do that. What I'm jealous stuff. of is I'm jealous that you are so comfortable alone. I'm jealous that you can be by yourself and yeah. like exist and be happy and content. I have always had trouble doing that. Being alone mm -hmm. is so difficult for me. Only this past year have I started like going to the movie theater alone to watch movies because I had to for the show. And I can't wait for somebody to go with me. Like I have to go see it. And it's just so odd to me. Like I've never, I've never once gone to a restaurant just by myself and sat down and had a meal or anything, which I don't think is irregular. Like I don't think it's odd to go and eat something on your own. But nowadays, especially the last few months, I've been so with like with any restaurant, like maybe that might be a little, like, I mean like maybe like a cafe or something, sit down, sure. eat some food, maybe have a drink, work on, read a book or something. I feel like I don't want to do that. I feel like anytime I'm alone, I just want to be at home alone where nobody can see me being alone. Mm. And it just, it does get lonely very, very quickly. And I've been so very much alone the last few months, just working and writing and just trying to be a part of the grind and take care of people and stuff. And it's just, oof. I do miss like a lot of interaction a lot of the time. Right. Which is not good. I want to be the kind of person who is okay being alone. Like I want to be comfortable being alone. I've been trying really hard to uh, like force myself to be alone and stay home and like try and do the things that I want to do and run the errands I need to run on my own. And right. I have good days and I have bad days. I started doing the pixel thing that you do where you try oh, yeah. what, what kind of a day it was. And uh, I definitely have had good days and I've had bad days. And when I look at the whole thing, the the color coordination I do is dark blue is the worst days and it's light blue, then yellow, then light green, and then dark green is the best days. And I looked at it and I've been doing it for a month now and I had one dark green day and I had like four dark blue days and then everything else is somewhere in the middle. So I've had a lot of just very neutral days or like slightly better, slightly worse. It goes back and forth. But I want to have more dark green days, you know, I want to look back at the whole right. thing and see more green than blue. Usually that's that's how it is. I mean, I found because I've been doing it for a couple of years now. Of I just love being able to look back and like see, sure. especially like the color coded way of it, um, just a snapshot of like a, a month in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and I've noticed that yeah, I mean, most days as well. It's like you're just you're doing what you're doing. You have your routine. You go about it. Yeah, nothing. Is There's like never even a note you add. Maybe you add like a one word note. Like the other day, I got a tattoo exactly. and I wrote tattoo light green. <laughs> that's all I put. <laughs> Interesting. Um, but yeah, if there's moments that like break the pattern or like anytime, usually anytime I hang out with like a group of friends, mm -hmm. that'll usually bump up. Yeah, to for sure. Right. Green, especially because I mean, yeah, like we aren't able to hang out as frequently as once upon a time. Mm -hmm. So those are usually things that will get um, the dark green. And then for me, it's like the dark red. And that's just usually if I feel like I've just completely wasted a day or I've been like exceedingly lazy um, or very annoying bad things happen like car issues. Oh yeah. Which is it's just the worst, right? Yeah. I nearly got stranded uh, 
a couple of days ago oh, at a gas station because my thing was not uh, not starting. We'll talk about that later on. We'll see if I can make it to the uh, <laughs> the theater later today. Um, that bad, but, huh? Well, you know, it's do you need a new starter or a new alternator or what? We'll we'll talk. <laughs> it's a stupid thing, honestly. Um, but yeah, because I just gotten uh the whole the cylinder thing mm -hmm. fixed. Um. But yeah, it's, there's always something. Always, always something to do. But anyway, tell me about it. Yeah, so that that I think um, is an interesting component of that because most days, yeah, you're just going to be fairly neutral. And for me, I usually put that as like a light green, like if nothing horrible happens. But I feel like I put it as a true. I go, I go if I can't if I can't point to anything that like made me really happy or anything that made me really sad. If I just had a very neutral day, that's just a yellow for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Good stuff for the the film. Going back to that yeah. and some things that stuck out, I did jot down some notes of like things that mm -hmm. I uh, was curious about. One thing was, uh, which goes back to the whole thing of like the notifications and not wanting to be a slave to that. She had mentioned um, that there was that one period of time she was in Eastern Europe somewhere, mm -hmm. and she was so happy. And she found that that was because she was disconnected from all her normal habits of consuming TV or shopping mm -hmm. um, or advertisements, things like that, which is fascinating. So this is from 04. Yeah. We're nearly two decades on. And of course, social media since then has become such an integral part. Again, I've always stayed away from social media mm. for a variety of reasons, but one of which is like, I do not want to be like just constantly connected to that. And there's like yeah. a Snapchat, like there are some that I have. And I will like go through and look at people's stories or the yeah, but Snapchat's stuff. different. You can keep it very pro like personal. You don't have to see like the entire internet. You can just keep it to your circle of friends, which is yeah, nice. Instagram is true. like you are blasted with everything. Yeah, TikTok, and TikTok the, the death scrolling. Oh man, my dad yeah. has started doing that the TikTok, and okay. he does the death scrolling where he sits on the couch, just scrolls and scrolls and scrolls. And I see myself in him more because I've done that in the past with like the Instagram <laughs> reels. It's bad. That's why I can't have Instagram yeah. on my phone. It's like if I have Instagram and I'm just looking at people's stories or I'm just looking at people's posts, it's fine. But the second I pull up the Instagram reels and I'm death scrolling, I hate it. I'm done with it. I have to delete it immediately. I hate it. I'll spend an hour doing it. It's terrible. I did it last night and I deleted Instagram immediately. <laughs> Tragic. I mean, it's good that you're able to notice the problem. I hate you know, that feeling. I feel like I hate so many it. people are just, they live with it or they, they've learned to like, love it and of course again there's like you know upsides and downsides to it i mean that point has been like spoken about to death it's great that there is a way to connect with people more and share yourself and express yourself but mm. the way that those algorithms are built to keep you on there constantly that is very unhealthy yeah scary um, so her mentioning like oh this natural high that i got from disconnecting from it and that's from a time that like relative to now with the internet and social media i mean that was like child's play nowadays for sure like having those dopamine detoxes as they call it just being able to get away from it unplug mm -hmm. um like that would be amazing so that was one interesting part um again the thing about like perceptions of that night here's a question i have for you if you remember yeah did they have sex or not in before sunrise they totally had sex you think they did oh for sure i thought they had explicitly said we're not going to do this because it'll ruin the night or it'll change things. So let's just not do it. So then I thought it was going to be a fascinating thing they did here of like, oh, he remembers it because he wanted it so much. And then he idealized it later on. And then she's like, oh, no, that never happened. But then later on, they were like, oh, no, 
she was like, actually, we did do it. And I knew that. And we actually did it twice, yeah. you idiot. And I'm like, they for sure did it. What? How did this? They for when did sure we get the, did There's it. a whole conversation point of them saying him like constantly wanting it and then her rebuffing and being like, no, that'll change things. Let's just keep it as a special. Yeah, but then they get they get a little wine. They go to the park. They're making out a little bit. The camera pans away. It's implied that they definitely have sex. Interesting. Sex in the park. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. I'm pro. I'm in favor of they had sex. I feel like, I mean, that could have been fine, but it's like, why not have that? She writes, for the text she writes a whole song normal. about him and it's called One Night Stand. Come on. It's a one night stand waltz. Well, I know, but that's, uh, yeah, that's consistent with what they've made it now in the film, which is that they did do that. But I thought the whole idea of like those different memories about like him thinking they did and her being like, absolutely, that did not happen. Um, yeah. I thought that was just a fascinating element that they, that because they were like, oh no, they actually both agree and fully remembered that that did happen. I'm like, okay. That's I thought it was interesting how, as the movie goes on, like they start talking about like, oh, we're reconnecting. What have you been up to? What do you remember about that night? Like they're asking each other the questions you expect them to ask. And then it increasingly gets more and more personal because this is even more than the last movie, very much in real time. It's like an hour and 20 minutes and it's as he's like getting ready to go to the airport. And it's yeah, the last movie, it was cutting through because it started in that day and then it was yeah. uh, going until through the night until that sunrise. This one was literally it was full real time, yeah. like every single cut that they had, it was like to that same equivalent moment. So it was literally 120 uh, or a minute and 20 minutes, an hour and 20 minutes of them just talking yeah. these conversations, just walking through the city. But as they're going on, they get more and more personal and then they get into that car on the way to her apartment and she like breaks down about like her memories of that night about uh how she feels about him about how she feels about men and how she feels about relationships and how like that night affected her because she felt so cynical afterward and how it changed the way she saw relationships and then he breaks down and he talks about his own marriage about how he's tried everything and it doesn't work and then he has dreams about her i really like like i liked that breakdown in the car between them where they just fully open up and fully like they have all these things that they wanted to say to each other the entire hour they were talking and they're finally saying it because it's they're about to leave each other again and they don't know when they're going to see each other next. Right. Yeah, I thought that was definitely a great moment. What did you feel about for, you know, they started out so romantic in that first film and then now from not being able to reconnect um, since he showed up and she wasn't able to and then they go throughout the rest of their life and they have these other uh, romantic relationships that aren't uh, living up to what they wanted and what they believed was possible from their brief encounter with each other that night. What do you think of that whole thing? I mean, it felt to it felt like the, the your, it felt like they were uh, like the first movie was very much them being romantically in the moment and like talking about themselves and learning about each other. Cause they're young and they have their whole lives ahead of them and they've, they're both in difficult places in their lives and they're getting to know each other. And they can be brutally honest with each other cause they're strangers. And then now they're adults who have gone through more of adult life and that has obviously been hard for them and they have a lot more to reconcile and they're different people now. And I think it's more about like rekindling those romantic feelings, not necessarily for each other, but for that time in their life where they were younger and they had less problems and they could, they could just go and spend a night in Vienna and not have to worry about catching a plane or anything. They could delay the train and go out all night and things like that. And I like that 
they spend this whole time with each other, it still feels like there's something there between them. I like that it feels like in the end, it feels ambiguous as to what happens to them. She dances in the apartment and it fades to black. And she's, or she says, uh, you're going to miss your plane. And he says, I know. And then she's dancing and then it fades to black. What a, that ending. We've got to talk about that. Cause that's what an, what a cliffhanger. That's great. Yeah. So yeah, I remember cause there were a couple times, um, where I had paused it, gotten up to go like put my food away or whatever. Um, and then when I came back, I remember seeing there was like, Oh, 35, 40 minutes left. Um, when I think they were getting in the car yeah. or something like that. So I was like, Oh, we got like plenty of time. And then when they're getting up to the apartment, I'm like, okay, we're getting close to the end. But I was like, we got time. So when it started doing that fade to black, I was like, no, that can't be it. Yeah, dude. I was just, I was, I didn't want it to stop. I was like, I want to miss my plane to stay with these people more. Like, dude, when, when I watched it on Amazon and Amazon does the up next thing where it pops up in the corner before anything. And so a little thing popped up for like a cartoon that said up next. And I was like, what do you mean up next? And then it started to fade to black. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Come back. Same thing happened to me, which is crazy. Prime should remove yeah, that that's terrible. until like after the credits. That's horrible. But when that popped up, I was like, what is this thing doing? And I was like, no, what does that mean? It can't be over. Right. But yeah, that whole, that ending sequence where she's doing that whole thing and he's just watching her like completely in love yeah and then so you're gonna miss that plane he's like i know it still feels even though they're they're in their own place and they're with other people it still feels like immensely romantic like you can feel the feelings they have for each other and like the feelings Mm -hmm. they have for that night and how important that night was for them and i think that's magical to be able to recreate that especially because you know they're so they both become like a little more cynical over time. I mean, they're both very much in relationships they don't like that are taking a toll on them and have made them judge like romance and love in a different way. But they've still found each other in this time and they are reconnecting this way. And they have that moment together where all of that stuff doesn't even matter. And she sings him a song, makes him tea, puts on Nina. He puts on Nina Simone. She dances a little bit and it just feels so like personal and romantic and i really really liked it for sure yeah i wonder how they came up with that moment in particular because that felt like something very specific um but yeah even before that uh nina simone moment her own song that she's singing to him yeah that's great oh it's so good she had a great voice a great song that like that was beautiful um so yeah i had a smile on my face the whole time through that so yeah it was a nice way to especially after them on like unloading all the more cynical views on romance that they built up mm. after all those like relationships and then is uh like unhappy marriage it's nice that it seems like through this they're able to see that okay there is still like hope even if it's if it's with this one particular person yeah but i did find myself being like oh goodness during that uh stuff in the car because for them both to have be like so wrecked afterwards of this mm-hmm. like amazing, beautiful, romantic encounter, and it had such a huge effect on them. Yeah. Like it essentially was like the standard they were judging the rest of them by, and then also it not coming to fruition, them not being able to reconnect again afterwards, being something that like made them not believe so strongly in it. That part to me, I was like, that's a little terrifying. Yeah, that, like someone have such a profound effect on you that it like kind of ruins um anything that comes afterwards um so it's fascinating that that came up because i don't think in the first one anything like that um had appeared but like this one 
the idea of feeling so strongly about someone that it is able to by comparison just make those other things where you don't have that connection doesn't don't have that magic like she was talking about that of she doesn't feel that connection and she knows it's because she's not allowing herself to feel it but mm-hmm. still it's not there in the way that she wants it to be um or the way that it was when she had that thing in vienna that to me was a little i don't know scary so as someone that hasn't been in love that element of it uh it's just a little i don't know yeah i thought it was scary when he was in the car and he said you should be in love with the person and not in love with commitment and i was like damn that was uh that one hit hard Dang. yeah it's a good point though yeah very I mean, true certainly, certainly true but yeah even that idea of and she had brought up on the boat like that idea of oh everyone has these very specific little things about them that make them irreplaceable and she like latches onto those and like will always remember them uh for those things i thought that was a, a beautiful moment um but yeah just an idea i i do like though that they're able to touch on the darker side of love i guess being that at some point it can dissolve and go away and leave a lot of pain but also leave the scars that like may make it more difficult for future connections to blossom i think it's nice that they they touched on that for sure because that at least to me was like oh like there there are some downsides to it and that's a little frightening and off-putting um but I, i like that they had touched on it a bit uh the other thing as we start to wind down here the the bombshell of him being married with a child yeah like coming in over halfway through the movie mm-hmm. that's crazy to me and they he was acting like that like, <laughs> the whole way through bringing her you could tell things were going great at home <laughs> for real i was like oh my gosh and she knew it too though that whole time and she was and she also had a significant other and she was playing around um, in that way. Yeah, but she didn't love him either. True. Not to say that you but should, I, yeah. but like, you know, there was a reason why they were so flirtatious and so doughy-eyed at each other. I mean, it's just the the idea of each other, let alone the actual person, just so romantic of that person you haven't seen in nine years who you had this magical night with and you're finally seeing them again. We know what they would do in the past live scenario. Yeah, they would They sure. would totally kiss. I was waiting for it. They were in the apartment, and I was like, they got to fuck. They're going to fuck. They got to fuck. It's got to happen. And then they cut the black, and I was like, damn it. Yeah. So any other thoughts, reflections on love in general or how these characters <sighs> now being more cynical? Are you going to end up like uh, either of them and not no. believing in the power of more or no it's a hard thing to fight the cynicism it definitely right it definitely is hard to combat those thoughts but i think at the end of the day i think i'm still a romantic i think i still like i know for a fact i i like uh what is it idolize people or idolize the idea of them in a way which isn't great but i mean that's what a romantic does you know you put people up on a pedestal because that's you know who they are to you even if they're not that person and sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. I think I still do that for sure, which isn't great. But I mean, I've become more honest with myself about what I want. I've become more honest about myself, what I need, what I'm looking for. And uh, I think I think being a cynic takes a lot of effort. And I just don't have the energy to, to believe in that. 
not now at least i I'm, i'd rather just be a hopeless romantic for the time being a hopeless romantic. just sounds a lot easier all your life all right so for before sunset any other final thoughts i really liked it i'm very much looking forward to before midnight in nine months we are going to be nine months, way yeah. different by then. Everything's going to be different by then. I feel like there's going to be a big change in the next nine months. Yeah, we'll see. We'll have to, because I'll be like right around when I'm about we to go into production. production. So yeah. we'll see if we may have to, uh, how, what we can do for that, because I still need to determine, because during production, obviously, we won't be able to be doing any shows. Yeah. So we'll have to see. But we're doing this one. This is the one you have to do beforehand. We have to get it. Okay. It's important. So what do you think is going to happen and before midnight so we see we end off in this ambiguous ish ending although i'd say it's definitely less ambiguous i think at this point like i can't say i can't say because i've been spoiled a little bit so i know a little bit of what happens i know i got accidentally spoiled a while ago so i know a little bit of what happens so i'm just not gonna say anything okay what do you think happens at all and so i just think after like having this moment i just don't see how they both split apart from each other without giving it a try mm-hmm. especially because it seems like they both just uh you know cheated on their significant others after it faded to black yeah so i feel like oh so you think they didn't be... have sex in before sunrise but you think they did have sex in before sunset yes wow and i think one is uh, i think they had sex in both <laughs> i mean well it's been confirmed that's what they said but i thought I mean, she had said explicitly, she's like, we're not going to do this. So it doesn't, uh, you know, ruin it. But okay. I thought for sure, too, when they were, I was like, when she mentioned, oh, in my journal, I have it. I was like, bro, we go back to that journal and like see and start going through and have them both like reflect on her perceptions of that night. Because mm-hmm. we've talked about that before amongst our friend group of like the people that journal and how like your perception of something can get immortalized by putting it in a journal, even though it still may not necessarily be like the fact of how things were yeah um but once you get it on paper then it gets solidified in that way um but in terms of before midnight i think just them having this reconnection i don't see how they don't give it a chance mm-hmm. so i think they will break it off with their significant others give it a go but i don't think again will it work out or will it not work out i feel like it doesn't work out just because of the whole nine-year thing what would be like the instance that we come back to nine years later if they've been together that whole time? Cynic. <laughs> so I like to be romantic, you know? I mean, I liked when Harry met Sally's ending. But I just think for story purposes, like if I was the one constructing it, I'd probably be like, there's more potential in these two hopeless romantics that split apart, became a little more cynical, then they're able to rekindle what they had and simultaneously rekindle their belief in love. And then they get together and then actually having to ex- spend an extended amount of time together, something happens where it doesn't work out. And then they reconnect another nine years later. I feel like that's what it'd be. Um, just cause yeah, I don't know what, what would be the conflict. What would be the thing that like we focus on instead of them like being brought together, if they've always been together and it's just nine years later and we see some random moment. I don't think they, would go about their it story would have been really good to tell in when harry met sally on that couch oh my gosh so true what a good story that would have been when jesse met celine celeste whatever Fuck off. 
It's Celine, I think. Is it? Yeah. Ah, fuck me. Yeah. <laughs> so there we go. Yeah, that's it. Looking forward to uh, the next yeah. one. How do you rate Before Sunset out of five stars? I'll give it a 4.5. I would agree with that, yeah. I like Before Sunrise a little bit more. But I think that's just because it's so much more hopeful. It's not as cynical. This one gets a little heavy. But this one, it does. I mean, that whole like boat or not the car. Boat. Okay. But definitely the car part. Yeah. That was, uh, was a lot. Intense. But I think it does a nice job of like completing. Like they were very much young and they were romantic and idealized. Mm-hmm. So it 100% makes sense for them to be a little more jaded yeah. at this point um, and be able to look at those other facets of love. So I think that's great. But yeah, the ending of this film is so crazy. It's so yeah, good. Yeah, it's very good. Did you have a did you have a good conversation? Was this nice? Yeah. I had a good time. 100%. How did you feel about it? I know you I liked it. You love these episodes. I do. <laughs> I love these episodes when we get personal. It was fun. I had a good time. I liked what we talked about. I liked what we went over. And I've got a lot of notes to, for us to go over when we do before midnight. A lot to yeah. a lot to like check you, in on. Do you feel like you have a better understanding of me, Dylan? Yeah, a little bit, actually. I think I do, which is always nice to get. That's all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show, you can email us at theboxofficeshowpod at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. If you like the show, please give us five stars on whatever podcast app you're listening to, and be sure to tune in next week. Have a great